You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by my bookie. My bookie will match your first deposit by 50% all the way up to $1,000. Head to mybookie.ag and use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Bet, win, get paid at mybookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And a couple days after uh, Florida's 24-17 defeat to Georgia, uh, I'm still not happy. And uh, joining me this episode to uh, maybe console me or make me feel a little bit worse. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, His uh, co-host, Will Miles, uh, here as he joins me every Monday. You can find Will's work uh, at readandreaction.com and him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, man, I'm still bummed. Yeah, man, it was actually a rough Monday at work today because everybody knows I'm a fan. None of them really have a vested interest, but they were all watching it because of because of the teams and the rankings and all that sort of stuff. So it's like, oh, it was a tough weekend for you, that sort of stuff. It's like, yeah, it is, but you know, again, it's it's you harken back to where we were two, yeah. three years ago, and uh, and and it's hard to be too disappointed with a team that is competing with LSU and Georgia and beating everyone else. So, you know, obviously, you'd love to win the game, and and that's and there aren't any excuses when you're in the SEC, but but Florida's building, and and hopefully they're going to continue building from this point. Uh, yeah, and anybody that was uh, we we were talking beforehand. And uh, anybody that was with me uh, Friday night, I, I won Friday night though. I did. I did win Friday night. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm suspecting that Jack Daniels or Jose Cuervo won Friday night there for you, buddy. Uh, it just kept adding up. Some, so, yeah, some of those, some of those. It just kept uh, plenty of beer. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a good time. Yeah. So if you want to hear what Dave really thinks, you need to come to one of his parties because he won't hold back <laughs> if you catch him late enough in the evening. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, the cocktail party the uh, before the cocktail party. So, uh, you know, showed up late Saturday, but uh, all in good fun. Well, that's good, man. I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. You know, it uh, didn't turn out so good Saturday, but I had a good time. Had a good time all weekend anyway. So, uh, thanks to everybody who came and, came and said hello at the tailgate uh, there uh, Saturday uh, as well and came out Friday night and uh, had some fun, had some fun. Uh, like uh, like only Florida and Georgia uh, can provide. So let's get into, uh, you know, we'll move forward a little bit, but we'll also look back and kind of tie it all together in uh, uh, what these Gators have uh, for the, you know, the rest of the 2019 season. But before we do, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes. Also catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube like so many of you are doing live right now, live on YouTube. So thank you so much for joining us there. 
when using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. Go leave us a review on those sites and uh, on social media. Follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, Will, uh, man, you really released a really good article and, and look back at the Georgia game and, you know, kind of how we we'll, we'll use that as a map kind of for this episode. It really kind of hits home. Uh, really hits hard uh, on you know the things we kind of need to talk about, need to discuss, and uh, you know released that over at Read and Reaction uh, on, on uh, late Saturday, Sunday morning. Uh, so taking a look back at this close loss to Georgia, you had some you had some interesting and unique takes on the outcome of the game, and in your article t- titled "What Lessons Can Florida Learn from the Loss to Georgia," uh, you tackle many aspects to the game and, and kind of you know the, the fallout. Uh, from all that, but let's take a look forward before we look back for just a second. Um, of course, well, I think we'll go back to last year a little bit. Th- this Georgia loss cannot bleed over. Uh, I, I'm deflated, and as deflated as I am uh, as, as a fan, you know, I hope the team comes out fired up, uh, and I'll admit uh, it, I could see where that can be tough because of personally how I feel after that game, but I'm a fan, uh, and their players, they're going to have to put this behind them. Uh, go show out versus Vanderbilt and, and then extend that to Missouri and, and, and Florida State. Uh, Florida's going to have go, Florida's going to have to have it, have to move on. Uh, we're, we're only a couple of days removed from the Georgia game, so of course it still stings for the fan base. But but days will go by and we'll start to shift to Vanderbilt. So I'd love to see this team finish ten and two. Uh, that's a really good season with the and, and with the season dwindling down. Look, there's only so many chances uh, to see our team play again this season. Only two more games in the swamp this year. Uh, one more chance to cheer for our team against a hated rival going through some tough times right now in Tallahassee. Uh, you know, I won't predict it, but a very, very outside chance we're cheering for this team in Atlanta in the SEC championship game uh, with some help uh, of Georgia maybe falling on their faces in the next few weeks. But but whatever that whatever that you know whether that happens or not. You know, still, still a high-profile bowl game on the docket as long as the team takes care of business. So there's still, still a lot to look forward to, Will. But uh, that starts with this team taking care of business. Yeah, this is one of the things that when you looked at the schedule early, early in the year and tried to predict what might end up happening. You know, I think most of us anticipated that the Georgia game might be a loss. But one of the reasons that I picked Georgia, or picked Florida to go ten and two among among many was that last year after the Georgia game they had Missouri, who was a much more talented team. Um, than Vanderbilt, who's coming up on the schedule. And also they had Drew Locke, one of those experienced quarterbacks who seemed to give Grantham some trouble. And and this year you go to Vanderbilt, they've had a lot of struggles at the quarterback position. I think really is an opportunity for Florida's defense to get some confidence back. Um, you know, they, they obviously stopped the run real well the other day, but if they can stop the run against Vanderbilt, that's going to be something where um, I suspect they're going to have quite a bit of success against the Commodores. And and so again, I think I think it's a good thing. This, this isn't a cupcake by any means. I mean, Vanderbilt isn't the best team in the SEC by a far stretch, but they're still an SEC team, so they're going to have to come out and play hard, but I don't know that it's necessarily going to have to be their A effort to get the win, particularly at home, especially when you consider that, you know, I I think they came out a little bit flat against South Carolina um, after the LSU game, and they were still able to, to, to make you know, to, to eventually turn the switch and, and come back in the fourth quarter. But obviously you don't want to leave it up to that in the game against Vanderbilt. And, and I don't suspect they'll do so. I, you know, even if they come out a little bit flat, I think the talent differential is enough that, that Florida should be able to win that game. 
And Florida's probably wearing white helmets this weekend, Will, at home. So, you know, you know how that goes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they they beat Auburn, so I thought they broke that curse there, man. But, uh, well, the orange ones haven't worked too well against yeah, the big exactly. boys of the SEC, so people maybe we should stop wearing those. <laughs> yeah, people know how I feel about that ridiculous notion that the color helmet matters in the outcome of a game. So, uh, it's but just we'll you spent 200 bucks on the one behind you there. <laughs> 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 I love it. Shut up. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, of course, you know, yeah, you go back to the Vanderbilt game last year, Kishon Vaughn uh, gets off to a crazy start. And, and you're right, you know, being able to shut down the run last week versus Georgia, you know, maybe goes a long way into into kind of defending what Vanderbilt can do as well and get one of the, you know, their best playmaker on offense. Uh, that, as you said, that's their way. That's that's their key to a victory uh, over Florida here. You know, Florida, uh, Dan Mullen did amount, uh, announce today, Amari Bernie will be out for some time. Uh, Jeremiah Moon will be out for some time as well, probably uh, a longer extended time than, than Bernie is. Uh, rumor I heard about Moon was bro- a broken foot, so we'll see where that goes uh, there if that if that holds any water. But kind of holds up with what Mullen's saying that he'll be out for an extended period of time uh, there, maybe Bernie only a couple weeks there. So you know we'll see uh, how how that turns out. But Florida will be down some defenders this week. But well, I mean it is you know we can't go. Florida can't go back to the way it was uh, last year and how the way they showed up uh, versus Missouri uh, the week after Georgia. And, and look, we, we know there's a different circumstances here. You'll have Kyle Trask starting instead of Felipe Franks uh, there. You won't necessarily, as you said, you won't have necessarily have an experienced quarterback like Drew Locke trying to pick apart a, a Todd Grantham defense uh, now. And this is a chance to also, I know it's an opponent that you should go beat. Uh, and, and beat pretty handily in, in Vanderbilt. The point spreads, you know, well over 20 points there uh, for the Gators in Vanderbilt. But you know, it, this is a a chance for a defense that has been looked at now three games in a row as a, a pretty uh, weak link on the team, maybe, or or at least a weaker link on the team. I don't care who you're you're playing. You need to go out there. You need to go out there and show something. Yeah, you know, I mean, Neil for Vanderbilt hasn't been that great. Vanderbilt, I think, is a 26-point underdog in this game. So, you know, even if Florida wins by a touchdown or two, um, I I think that's still a win. I I don't necessarily expect them – like I said, I don't expect them to come out and just absolutely dominate. I think we saw that a couple of weeks ago with Georgia coming out against Kentucky. I think we all sort of expected them to come out angry, and I think they came out a little bit shell-shocked to start that first half. wouldn't surprise me if Florida got off to a slow start against Vanderbilt in the first half. But, you know, at the end of the day, the talent differential is so substantial. Florida just has better players, even with the injuries. I, I suspect that they'll eventually be able to take control. All right, well, so yeah, we'll take a look at your article, man, and kind of m- let it map this uh, map map this episode, uh, and, and the way we'll go. And I think uh, the one part that I found the most polarizing was the point that uh, uh, the Gators missed Felipe Franks, and now and I, you did. I, and look, I don't think you meant it this way, and I, I don't mean it this way. It's, it's not a Kyle Trask versus Felipe Franks debate. You know, that's not what we're looking at here. It's not to uh, you know, prop, prop up one while downing the other. That's not the not the purpose, not the uh, not the hit here. Uh, but you know, you're right there in certain aspects. You know, of this Dan Mullen offense that you know Felipe Franks excelled in, uh, in, in use like their you know, and there's certain aspects Kyle Trask excels in. So there, there's both quarterbacks do different things in this Dan Mullen offense and and doing pretty well. You know, there are games where Florida would have missed Kyle Trask, just like they've missed Felipe Franks in certain aspects uh, of this loss to Georgia. So, you know, credit Dan Mullen to where we can give credit to, to 
two two quarterbacks here. Uh, so where I can agree with you there is, uh, you know, it's applied to the to where you know Dan Mullen and this offense uh, versus Georgia is the opening drive. Uh, you pointed to it in your article many times. It's the fourth and inches. Florida goes empty set. Then throws an incomplete pass to Kyle Pitts. Momentum is stopped, and Georgia takes over. You know, no doubt, no doubt in my mind that uh, even with this offensive line, everything being the same, uh, the, if Felipe Franks is quarterback, that's a quarterback sneak. That's a quarterback power. It's a quarterback run of some sorts there <laughs> to get that first down. Uh, to me, it should have been called with Kyle Trask, uh, but it wasn't. So, look, we knew there would be certain aspects of this offense that changed when Kyle Trask took over, but – in certain short yardage situations, I'm not so sure it has to change all that much. Uh, we've seen Trask convert some of those this season, but wasn't really given a chance versus Georgia to do so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't mean it as a when I when I wrote it, I didn't mean it as a denigration of of Trask really. I, yeah. And in fact, I, I said that he's better at reading defenses than Franks, perhaps even a better pure passer. But at least in Mullen's offense, I don't know that that means he's a better quarterback, and and that's one of the reasons you know I talk about yards above replacement, a statistic that I've that I've developed really in response to Mullen being hired at Florida, because it was hard to understand how how good his offenses were, considering that he had some pretty substandard passers there other other than Dak Prescott, and you know what you see is that so what that really does is it puts an emphasis on yards per attempt both through the air and on the ground. And Trask has taken a lot more sacks than Franks took. Franks got out of the pocket awfully early. And I think Trask sits in the pocket more more often than Franks, so was able to make plays from the pocket. But Franks rarely took like the 20-yard sack. <laughs> I think there was a 19-yard sack and a 10-yard sack that just completely killed Florida's drives. And, and that matters, right? And then the other thing is, is that he completed, I think, 77% of his throws in the first four games, including UT Martin as one of those four games, and came out and just played really, really well against against Kentucky. I don't think Florida wins that game without Trask at quarterback. Um, Tennessee, he comes out and just lights it up. But his completion percentage has dropped now to about 62% over the last four games. And again, 62% is still pretty good, but his yards per completion have been relatively steady. So his yards per attempt have gone down considerably. And that's something that, uh, you know, last year towards the end of the year, Franks was was completing passes about a nine yards per attempt clip. And that's kind of where he started out this year. So, you know, you look at where, you look at where Franks was. I, I mean, I think if you believe Dan Mullen's a good coach and you believe he knows what he's doing, then there was a reason that Franks was starting over Trask. I think some people had some PTSD maybe from 2017 and so, you know, didn't necessarily think that, that you know, wanted to see what Trask could do or wanted to see what Emory Jones could do. But, you know, the other thing is, is that Franks was injured running the ball on one of those mm -hmm. quarterback runs. And so that's the risk in, in Mullen's offense. So, you know, again, I, I don't, it wasn't meant to be necessarily a shot at anybody. It's I actually think Trask has played very, very well in in relief of Franks, but I think people underrate Franks and some of the things that he did that didn't necessarily look pretty. Um, some of the things Trask does look pretty, but, but Franks didn't do a whole lot that looked pretty, but he got the first down or he got the touchdown when you were you know, third and two against South Carolina last year, all those quarterback powers that got the ball in to win that game, you know? So he, he's a good player. I think people tend to undervalue some of the things that he does, but at least in the way I metric quarterbacks, I think he does some things very, very well that, that add to his value. All right. Well, so I had a tweet sent to us from uh, at CT Gator fan 81. And of course, you know, we only have so much time here 
uh, uh, per episode. So he was hoping, uh, I think, I guess, you know, Will Salmon and I yesterday, uh, he said, I was hoping you guys would have dipped into the running game a little more because I was interested in, in why Mullen wouldn't use Emery to create more second level space and use him as a quote, willing runner uh, when we needed it the most. So, of course, uh, Emory Jones, uh, a hot topic as well uh, out there in the Twitter world and kind of comparing what he could bring to the table and kind of what we were just kind of discussing with Kyle Trask and Felipe Frank, certain things that you know, he could bring to the table. Maybe the ceiling's a little bit higher because he is a true true dual-threat quarterback uh, here in, in Dan Mullen's offense. You know, To me, Kyle Trask right now is the best option uh, moving forward uh, for this season. I am perplexed at the use of Emory Jones uh, right now. You go back to a couple games ago in LSU, it seems like they had that figured out in ways they wanted to bring him in, certain situations they wanted to bring him in. Uh, then one play versus South Carolina and one play versus Georgia, and those one plays that he came in were very questionable, especially this Georgia game. Uh, Kyle Trask had just completed two downfield passes and, and pull him out kind of stops some momentum to bring Emory Jones in and uh, a run that really doesn't do much uh, there. So, you know, Will, I, we, we, when we started thinking when Kyle Trask was going to be quarterback, we'd start, we, we thought we'd see Emory Jones a little more just because of trouble in the, in, in the run game. And maybe he can help spark the run game a bit. And we always, always, always go back to the Chris Leak, Tim Tebow uh, combination in 2006. And if you go back to that, it looked like, you know, Dan Mullen knew exactly when to insert Tebow, or you, even you as a fan base could sit in there in the stands or could sit there and watch TV and know, hey, it's third and two, hey, it's third and one, and Tebow's coming in, he's coming in to get the first down. You know, there's not a lot of predictability of when Emory Jones is going to come in. I don't know if that's planned or not, you know, it, it, but there does seem for Tebow in 2006, there was a defined role. It, it seems right now there's not much of a defi defined role for Emory Jones and what we've seen uh, the past three games. And it, it's and it's weird. It, it just seems really weird uh, and odd at times when Dan Mullen wants to bring him in. And Mullen said today in his press conference, he was asked about it, and he said, look, the plan was to get Emory Jones more. It was in the game plan, uh, but they didn't run a whole lot of offensive plays. It was really taken out of their game plan because the way Georgia was controlling the ball and converting third down after third down. Will, it's just, uh, it, it, it is a puzzling piece to this offense right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear where Mullen's coming from there. I mean, Florida only really yeah. had seven offensive possessions, right? Couldn't get Georgia's defense off the field and or couldn't get Georgia's offense off the field. And then, you know, you, you're down almost immediately. And, and, you know, so they turn the ball over on downs on the first drive. That's maybe a place where you might have gotten Emory Jones in. Um, and then the second the second drive, you punt. And by then, you're down 10 nothing, And you got to really start thinking about well, what does, you know, how do I score and how do I score quickly? Because I can't necessarily, like, I think maybe they weren't quite patient enough mm. in the second quarter. You know, they, they went right down the field for that field goal after the touchdown on the, on the bad call by Cager. Um, you know, they went right down the field for a field goal, scored so quickly that Georgia could sort of turn it around and come back for another field goal. And then, you know, Georgia comes down and, and scores coming out of the half and, and you're down by a considerable amount and now you got to start throwing the ball. And the way the defense was playing, they only had three possessions in the second half. So I, I don't necessarily know when you're going to put Emory Jones in there. They, they really were too far behind. By the time they got down 13-3, to three, 
they were really too far behind, I think, to probably think about bringing him in. I, I think it's they had a plan for him against LSU. That was pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here they got sort of knocked out of their plan because I think they expected to perform better on the defensive side of the ball, certainly at least to stop 50% of the third down conversions. And because they weren't able to get off the field, because Georgia dominated time of possession, it was one of those things where I just I suspect that they just didn't get him in the game because they really the only way they could move the ball was throwing it. And really, they had a game plan that was tied around throwing it. And if you're going to throw and that's your game plan, then Trask is the guy you'd want to be running it. Yeah, Mullen said coming into this game, they did not feel good about being able to run the ball uh, on Georgia. And that's where we'll go next. You know, a uh, one dimension offense. Hey, look, it can it, it can work versus most teams on Florida's schedule. Uh, Florida faces because of talent. You know, Florida's still t- more talented than most of the teams on the schedule right now. That's not going to work versus Georgia uh, here in, in their talented defense. Will, you stressed last week how important it is for, for the Gators to be balanced, and we know how important running the ball is for Dan Mullen's offense, and, and whether that comes from the quarterback and or the running backs, it, it needs to be there versus better teams on the schedule. And that was the most glaring disparity in where recruiting come into play here versus Georgia. It was a mismatch in the trenches. Uh, now, Georgia wasn't able to get the, the run game going like they thought either, but it, it was good enough and got better as the game went on. But Florida's offensive line was was nowhere near up to the task of getting the job done and, and opening holes for these running backs. Um, I, I do subscribe to the thought that Florida maybe should have tried to run the ball a, a bit more, but they were getting killed on first down in, in, in running situations. Uh, as I said yesterday's podcast, only 2.5-yard rush average on first down when Florida tried to run on first down. So you know, with that, Mullen you know, didn't trust to get the necessary production out, out, out of that group, and it, it really affected his play calling. And Kirby Smart was talking about his own team after the game, but also I think he could have been discussing Florida at the same time. Uh, and a quote from Kirby Smart is, uh, after the game was, if you don't run the ball in this league, pass rushers will chew you up. When they see pass every play, they'll feast. It's like sharks in the water. They'll attack you. You've got to keep them honest. you got to wear them down. I know y'all don't believe in it, and y'all think it's boring, and y'all hate it, and it's not explosive. I get it. Okay. But in this league, you've got to have the threat of that in order to sustain. So, you know, he was asked in discussing of his own run game, but Will, I'm telling you at the same time, <laughs> you know, that, that, that quote really pertains to Florida at the same time. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the deal through three quarters, Florida had 12 rush attempts for minus eight yards. Yeah. And certainly that, that does reflect a couple of sacks, but there were only, there was only one, one tackle behind the line of scrimmage on the third down that Pierce got, got stuffed on. And other than that, they were at least getting two, three, four yards. And at some point you got to help out your quarterback and give him a second and six every once in a while. Now, if the offensive line can't give him a second and six, then that's a problem. <laughs> I mean, that's the, the reality is that's a problem. And that's something that I think you need to scheme around. And that's maybe the thing that, that was the most disappointing out of everything is, you know, on the fourth and one, I kind of expected them to run a reverse to Tony yeah. like they ran against Michigan last year, or at least to fake it. Um, I think they, they actually, it looked like they were going to fake it on the third and one before they got called for the false start. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, in, in some capacity, you, uh, fourth and inches, I, I know, like, I understand why he threw the ball there, but going empty set and basically yeah. – announcing to the mm-hmm. to Georgia that you're not going to run. I'm not sure unless you're actually going to run trash that game. Right. 
doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So not a whole lot of misdirection, not a whole lot of creativity in the run game. Um, it's basically read option and a quarterback who's not necessarily keeping it um, when the defensive end crashes as much as he should. And so the running game struggling and, yeah, you know, I get why he's passing the ball. I mean, they averaged 9.2 yards per throw through the first three quarters, dropped down to 7.8 when you added in the fourth quarter. That's because they sort of dinked and dunked their way down the field on the last drive. Um, so, I mean, I get why they're throwing the ball. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, that's the South Carolina and LSU games were perfect examples. Um, in the scoring drives in those two games, 40 run plays, 35 pass plays. In the non-scoring drives, 25 run plays, 47 pass plays. It was a little bit more, I mean, it was just so pass happy that even on the scoring drives, Florida was able to, mm-hmm. was able to score. So they had 22 pass plays and nine run plays. But again, one of those is that 11 you know, the 17 play drive to end the, to end the game that had 11, that had 11 pass plays in it. So, um, yeah, you're going to have to run the ball in this league to be successful long-term Mullen knows it too. It's not just smart who knows it. And I know people complain about smart running the ball and, and in some capacity, um, the fact that they're not explosive is an issue, but they still threw the ball 30 times in this game. So it's not as if they were incredibly one-sided. I mean, the reason they won the game is that Fromm completed, damn near every third down pass he, yeah. he threw and uh you know I, I, yes they they ran the ball but not real effectively i mean nah. you know 30 got, like i said yeah it got better as the game went on they started going outside a, a little bit more but they they stuck with it and got some important third down conversions out of it too yeah but again if you look at it florida had 12 rush attempts and 20 pass attempts through three quarters when the game was really in doubt georgia 27 and 27 Mm-hmm. So not only was it 54 plays to 32 plays, but Georgia was in balance and, and that makes a difference. And in fact, you see it when you start looking at the yards per play averages per quarter. So Florida started out 4.9, then 7.6, then 4.6, 5.2 in the third and the fourth quarter, whereas Georgia went 3.3, 5.6, 7.7 and 8.2. So, you know, as they wore down the Florida defense, kept them on the field, kept converting those third downs that were sort of dinks and dunks and, you know, a 16 play drive to lead for a field goal. Then they have an eight play drive with a punt, then a 10 yard, then a 10 play um, drive for a touchdown. By the time those first three drives were over, Florida's defense was sort of sucking wind and uh, and the offense didn't do a good enough job of, of giving them a blow to be able to sort of stem the tide. Yeah, and Georgia's offense is built off play action a lot as well. So they they kind of have to stick to the run game for that complete offense to work. And, and of course, you know the big touchdown at the end of the game, or you know to Cager the, the fifty yard, fifty two yard touchdown, whatever it was around there. You know it's off of uh, off of a play action there. Yeah, well, and and even even if you're not running the ball effectively, if you're just running it, the play yeah. action becomes effective. And and that's one of the things is the linebackers clearly there was an RPO that trashed through that almost got tipped by a linebacker and, and Danielson, when he was commentating was talking about how they're teaching linebackers not to crash to the line of scrimmage um, as sort of a defense against RPOs. But the reality is why would you crash to the line of scrimmage? <laughs> you're getting, yeah. that. you're stopping the run game with, with, with your front four. And even if you're not, Florida isn't running the ball anyway. Like there's no risk. Like, there's no reason for that linebacker to come up means the windows get tighter. You start making mistakes. The ball gets tipped, those sorts of things. Um, you know, again, I, I think Florida was sort of on the cusp of putting together a couple of really good drives, especially uh, in the first one. I mean, yeah. you know, if they could have converted that first one, but you know, at the end of the day, um, 
at the end of the day, getting to the 40 yard line doesn't get you much of anything. They did mm-hmm. that three or four times and came away with nothing. And, you know, when that happens, you're going to struggle to score points. Yep. So another part of your article will here at, over at readandreaction.com. The wrong coach is getting blamed in response to a lot of, uh, you know, remarks thrown towards uh, defensive coordinator Todd Grantham. Uh, look, this was certainly a complete staff loss here, this this, this game. Uh, and just kind of a, a list here. Uh, we just talked about it, the fourth and one call, um, abandoning the run, having to burn timeout, timeouts because players can't get lined up, a long touchdown drive that – you know, really needed to be a whole a whole lot quicker on the clock here. Uh, Chris White starting in, instead of Richard Garage. Third down conversion. Secondary miscommunication. Soft zone coverage. Uh, trading, getting taken advantage of at star. Not enough blitzes. So now, don't get me wrong. There's enough blame to go around as far as execution as well. I just mentioned Trey Dean. Uh, the staff keeps throwing him out there. He needs to perform. Uh, these corners, especially Marco Wilson, uh, can cover better, tackle better. Blame deserves to go all around, and I think the most frustrating part, as many as these were year-long issues, and, and at least from a from a staff perspective, items we hope that would be corrected or be improved upon during the bye week. Yeah, I mean, I get the frustration. I, so, um, you know, the I, I think most of the ire that I heard was was aimed towards Grantham, and you know, hey, his defense couldn't get off the field and and couldn't stop third down conversions, but. At the same time, like that kind of is who he is. I mean, you know, I I remember saying when he was hired that I was sort of eh, like he's he's a good defensive coordinator. He's not a difference maker, and I think that's what we're seeing this year is that he's a good defensive coordinator. He's not a difference maker, and his scheme, particularly against quarterbacks who have experience and are above average, is something that um, that can be exploited because. You know that they're just there are things about it that if you've got the experience to be able to pick it apart, you can do that. Now against young quarterbacks, Florida has excelled, and I think that happened last year as well. And the good news is is that most of the time you're playing young quarterbacks who are inexperienced, and so you know against a guy like Bo Nix, that's the kind of guy who perfectly plays into what Grantham's trying to do because he's bringing pressure from all over the place, and it's hard for that guy to pinpoint the matchups. But if you can pinpoint the matchups pre-snap then you can do a lot. Drew Locke did it last year. It was one of those things where Florida just couldn't get to him um, and put pressure on him, and they sort of did the same thing this year. And, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about, uh, it, uh, starting after the LSU game, but really I think it was cemented after the, after the Georgia game, is, you know, we've talked a lot about the idea of flexibility that Grantham and Mullen have talked a lot about flexibility with the guys on defense. And, you know, the idea that you can take Amari Bernie and you can play him at safety or linebacker and you can take, um, you can take Dean and you can play him at safety or star or, or corner. But that's also kind of saying that your team as a whole is not talented enough to stack up to have a guy who's just a stud linebacker, to have a guy who's a stud safety, to have a guy who's who's a stud in that star role. And, you know, that versatility is great against a lot of teams. But I think when you come up against teams that are really, really high level, the problem is, is that all of a sudden they've got guys who are studs at both places and they can, you know, at tight end and at, and a wide receiver, and they can start to take advantage of those guys who are sort of hybrid. And I wonder whether maybe that's kind of what's happening here is you got a guy who's a little bit uncomfortable in coverage, a little bit uncomfortable against the run, and all of a sudden the team with with more talent is able to take advantage of it. Yeah, well, um, 
now the next one uh and going through your article and and the one that draws a whole lot of a lot of headlines uh, especially for uh you know what we've done here on gators breakdown since uh, we've kind of been uh, in inception is uh you know recruiting matters <laughs> so it's uh it's always a hot topic uh you know and look uh, i hate talking recruiting a, a whole lot during the season. Uh, I, I try and enjoy these 12 games a year as much as I can. You know, as a rule for myself, I, I just don't do it much during the season. Uh, but it is applicable when discussing this game. Uh, and many, many in Gator Nation subscribe to, to the thought that Dan Mullen is a better head coach than Kirby Smart. Well, if you, if you believe that, then the difference in their head-to-head matchups is talent. And that's what it boils down to. If, if, that's, if that's what you believe, that's where the difference is. Uh, and, um, you know, I, 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 I've always said this, I, I've, I tend to believe Kirby's a, a pretty good coach. Uh, he has a lot of talent to work with, made some boneheaded mistakes that get magnified because of, you know, when most of those have happened in, in big games, he's, you know, in those big games because he's a pretty good head coach and, and has a lot of talent. So, you know, if you really subscribe to the thought that Mullen, uh, is, is a great head coach, he is, I do believe that. Uh, but he's still failing in these types of games when the you know the final step is just bringing in better players. Uh, it doesn't mean he'll never beat Georgia if he doesn't bring in top three classes. Uh, but I just know the man can coach, and I know Dan Mullen can develop. Uh, give him some four- and five-star players to do it with, and Mullen's going to win some big games. He's going to win some championships. But until, you know, until wins versus Georgia, LSU, Alabama, those types of teams, you know, the, until he – brings in that type of talent, those types of wins against these teams consistently are going to be really hard to come by. Yeah, I mean, I think so when we when we discuss recruiting and claim and say that it's important, the refrain is usually, well, just, you know, once he shows it on the field, he'll be able to bring in the high level recruits and beating Georgia is part of showing it on the field. So if you're not going to have those top five classes, to start with, then you got to start beating those top five programs in order to get into that space. And that, that I think is maybe the concern with this game is that, you know, a win against Georgia says something about your program and says something about the momentum and says something to the people that you're recruiting. But, you know, I think recruiting for the most part is about relationships. And so the question is, what kind of relationships are you building? And, you know, here's, here's the reality. Georgia's roster has 14 five-stars right now, 45 four-stars, and 25 three-stars. Florida has one five-star who's not eligible to play right now, 38 four-stars, and 35 three-stars. It's, it's, it is a significant difference. This is not like the difference between, between Florida and Tennessee, where Tennessee is slightly less talented. This is a significant difference. And if, you look, if, you, if you're upset about the way the defense played on Saturday, well, all four defensive linemen were were three-star recruits. David Reese and Ventrell Miller were three-star recruits. Trey Dean, Marco Wilson, and C.J. Henderson were four-star recruits. But then Juwan Taylor, Donovan Steiner, and then uh, and then Sean Davis were three stars with with Brad Stewart as a four-star back there. So um, you know the average of those guys, if you take the safety rotation into account, the average star ranking of those guys is three point three. So is a team that gives up twenty-four points to Georgia and struggles to get off the field. You know, maybe that's what we should have expected. I mean, the def- I think a lot of those guys have overachieved. I think a lot of them have proven to be high-level SEC players. But those are the guys who are winning the job, and so the two deep then is 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 guys who are who are going to struggle as well. There just hasn't been anybody to plug them in. You mentioned earlier Jeremiah Moon being hurt, Amari Bernie being hurt. Who are the guys who are going to step into that role now? I mean, I know there are a lot of people who are upset about Trey Dean, but I think the interesting thing is I remember 
three years ago when everyone was upset about Chauncey Gardner-Johnson in that star position, sort of looking a little bit out of sorts, really with tackling more than he was with, uh, um, with tackling more than he was with, with coverage. But again, it takes time to develop into that, into that slot corner position. And I think, you know, the only way you're going to get better is by being out there playing. So, yeah, I mean, I I think recruiting is a big deal, obviously. Um, The, the issue is, is that Florida is basically where they were, they're they're exactly where they are this year is where they were last year and where they were the year before. So that's the level of talent. I think Mullen's bringing in more talent than McIlwain did before him. I think Mullen's better at developing that talent. But um, you know, really, what we're looking at, and I think this has been the the refrain of people who really look at recruiting and harp on it, is is being the Auburn of the East, right? That. You look at Malzahn, you look at the way that he recruits. It's not as good as Alabama. Every once in a while, he's able to he's able to get a team that can go and beat Alabama. But consistently, Alabama is the is the team that leads the leads the West. And and you know the way the recruiting rankings have gone thus far, that's what it looks like in the East. And that's why this loss is deflating because you sort of say, you know, I the some of the mistakes that were made out there point to the coach on the Florida side, and and that and that's a little bit bothersome. Yep. So, uh, well, I, I mentioned it to you before we came on here. Inside the Gators did a really good uh, article on the Mark by Mark Wheeler uh, and some calculations in looking at next year. Uh, and it doesn't get much better. So he does say here a quote from from the Inside the Gators article here. To be clear in the calculation for next year, we are assuming every player other than the seniors will return. Also, while also factoring in those prospects who are already committed to each school. For Florida, that means the total takes off take takes off for this are Tyree Cleveland and Van Jefferson, but includes Trevon Grimes, Felipe Franks, Gervin Dexter, and Derek Wingo. Uh, and if you include Cox, who was signed by Georgia at a high school, but take off Demetrius Robertson for Georgia, uh, you know, transferred in there uh, for next season. So uh, as it stands today, the 23 highest rated players in the game will have been signed by the Bulldogs staff. So uh you know, but Cox will be on Florida's roster. So, but still, Georgia signed him. So the 23 highest Raiders, rated players will have been signed by Georgia. Uh, so, and he says, think about this for a second or longer. As of today, of the top 30 rated prospects in next year's game, the top 15 in a row and an incredible 28 overall will be on the Georgia sideline. Well, that sounds like fun. <laughs> I mean, you know, it goes a little bit deeper than that, too, because if you look at the starters for Florida, um, five of them were from the 2000, at least coming into the year, five of them were from the 2015 class, eight from the 2016 class, and six from the 2017 class. Only three of those guys were from 18 or 19, which are Mullen's first two recruiting classes. If you compare that to Georgia, they had seven and seven from 2016, seven from 2017, three from 2018, two from 2019. So they got guys out there starting right away. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, is that they're more front loaded. So yeah, there are going to be guys who leave who are juniors, but they've got guys who are getting experience. I mean, who are the guys on the Florida team from from the 19 class who are really getting a ton of experience? I mean, you've obviously got Kyrie Lam out there. A couple of the corners are getting getting more than a cup of coffee. Um, you Diabate, know, Diabate. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So you got a couple of guys who are getting out there getting experience, but not a whole lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. So we haven't seen a real difference maker from that 2019 class. And you know, that's what everybody sort of was hoping Chris Steele would be there on the outside, though obviously transferred back to USC. I think that's actually maybe – so you – the recruiting is sort of twofold, right? I mean, the the first part is who are the the guys you bring in, but the other is, you know, 
you need numbers because not every guy hits. And so, you know, the loss of Chris Steele, the loss of DeWan Black, D.A.B. Hammond, um, you know, Jalen Jones and Wardrick Wilson. I mean, some of these guys needed to go, right? But And, and Hugg, Huggins, too, if you want to go back to him for another class. Well, and yeah, yeah, I mean, Justin Watkins, Randy Russell, yeah. um, Malik Langham, who transferred out. So, I mean, it would have been really nice to have Malik Langham out there play, playing, playing on the defensive line. And so... You know, the, the reality is there's been an awful lot of attrition from classes that are borderline top 10. And if you're going to be borderline top 10, you can't have a whole lot of attrition. And I haven't gone back and looked at it, but I suspect that Clemson's classes, which everybody sort of points to when they talk about top 10 classes developing into um, elite teams, I suspect there wasn't a whole lot of attrition from those classes. But that would actually be an interesting thing to look at. But uh, I'm, I'm going to guess that they hit on a higher percentage than than most people do and that they didn't have guys leave the program for, for different reasons. So, again, I, I don't want to harp on this too long. At the end yeah. of the day, it is what it is, right? You, um, you know, I, I think you look at strengths and weaknesses, and when we look at Kirby Smart, we say, hey, there are some weaknesses in terms of his on-field coaching, his decision-making, but obviously he's really good at recruiting. And I think you look at Mullen and you say he's really good on field. He, he does a great job developing his players. There are some weaknesses in recruiting. Are there places where he can make that stronger? Probably. Um, I think there are probably some things he'd change if he were coaching that game against Georgia over again. But um, end of the day, it, it is what it is. He's not going anywhere. And the question is going to be, can he um, take those classes and turn them into elite units? I think he can. I just think it's going to take a little bit more time. It's going to be one of those things where um, – you know, he's going to have to develop the players. And, and one of the things with the attrition is that, you know, you were talking about next year. Part of that is just because of all the guys who can leave. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of seniors who are leaving next year. Um, and, and that's, you know, depending upon who all, you know, so is Felipe Frank's going to come back. P Ryan's gone. Cleveland's gone. Jefferson's gone. Hammond's gone. Um, you know, Forsyth, yeah. Forsyth and Heggie are juniors, but they're probably going to stay. Um, yeah. Buchanan is a senior. You've got Grimes and Swain. You've got Malik Davis. Is he going to transfer with the other running backs they brought in? You've got Canarius Tony. I don't know what's going to happen with him. You got Jabari Zaniga, Schuler, Grenard, Reese, all those guys on the defensive well, side of the ball. Wilson, Henderson. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, hey, this team could look completely different next year, and and you're going to need reinforcements to come in, and, and we'll see whether – again, I, I think – Nobody's crying for you. you you're gonna have yeah. to, you're gonna have to make do with what with the guys you brought in, um, and and they brought and again to be clear, I think they brought in some very very good players. Um, but well, I got laughed at. Well, you know, it, it, by rival fan bases when we come into the season, and when I brought this up before, when we were going through the all the preseason magazines, and Florida had a lot of first teamers, second teamers, third teamers guys because of. Those guys were experienced. It wasn't because they were highly rated recruits and, and they were just getting based off of talent. But you had players like Jabari Zuniga who were getting first team all SEC selections. He was a three star, kind of developed, who's been experienced. He was a senior. Uh, you know, he was able to 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 you know build his way to to become that type of player uh, there. And of course, now he's not playing much this year because of an injury. Uh, but you had the, the deep receiver core. You had Lamichael P. Ryan getting a whole lot of credit. You had Felipe Franks getting a whole lot of credit. Wilson Henderson. It was, it's you know it wasn't far fetched to say you know I, I came into the season saying hey look this this might be the year to get Georgia because of all that talent, all that talent returning, all that experience that, that talent returning. So you know, that went to hey you have guys that you've brought in that that got developed uh, some of them weren't your guys they were McElwain's guys some you brought in as transfers like Grimes and Jefferson you know it was kind of a it was kind of a perfect storm of uh, of uh, of players 
that Dan Mullen had, had assembled and, and brought together and developed that, you know, gave Florida a chance this year. Yeah, you know, the other thing is is that obviously coming off the Georgia game, we're, we're disappointed and we wanted yeah. to win the game and, and things like that. But the team's 7-2. and two, Yep. And they've lost to two teams that may end up playing each other in the SEC championship game. So, you know, if you're the third or fourth best team in the conference, is that a reasonable expectation for where they've recruited? Yeah, I think so. Is that a reasonable expectation for year two under Mullen? Is that progress? Yeah, I think so. So, you know, and again, two years ago under McIlwain, we would have been killing for just progress, right? I mean, that was, that was like your word of the 2017. It was. Season. Yep. By the time by the time we got past Texas A&M that year, progress was a four-letter word on the Gators Breakdown <laughs> podcast because it never happened. So. Progress was McIlwain getting fired. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, again, I I go back and I look at it and and there's plenty of time to talk about recruiting, I'm sure, um, this offseason. I think it does rear its head, especially when you start talking about injuries. It's not something that you can ignore when you're watching a game where clearly Georgia had had a much better offensive line than Florida did. And it protected from and gave him freedom. And you wonder what would happen if you put Trask behind an offensive line that could give him that kind of time and that kind of, you know, and what could happen with these wide receivers if they had that kind of time. But that's sort of the nature of going through constant coaching changes and then not necessarily having elite recruiting classes is that you end up with one unit that's strong and another unit that's not, or one, one unit that's, that's able to carry you for a while, but then you have some injuries and, and they end up being a unit that's not quite as good by the end of the year and and I think that's really what's happened is injuries have taken a toll especially on the defensive side of the ball and you don't have the same defense on the field that they did against Auburn you just don't and and you're starting to see that so that's one of the reasons why UCF can't play in the in the SEC or why people in the SEC at least took umbrage to their claim national championship is that you know, there, there's a big difference between playing Akron and, and playing Georgia and LSU and, and Florida starting to feel that now. And, you know, it, it's not a, it's not, these kids are playing hard. It's, it, it has nothing to do with how hard they're playing. I, I think the reality is, is that sometimes you come up against teams that are better than you. That's okay. You tip your hat to them and you say, Hey, let's go finish up the season strong. All right. Well, uh, before we go here on, on this episode, the school out West, uh, you know, they're looking for a new head coach. Willie Taggart gets fired uh, here in his in the second season. Didn't make it quite through his second season, but in the second season um, through nine games there. So FSU will be looking for a new head coach. Bob Stoops is the hot name out there uh, right now. Mark Stoops as well uh, from Kentucky getting some uh, get, getting some love. P.J. Fleck, uh, Mike Norvell, other names that people are, are bringing up. So you know, we'll see uh, where uh, FSU ends up going there. But uh, – well, man, just uh, you know, don't think anybody could have ever predicted uh, that uh, Willie Taggart wouldn't make it through the end of the second season in Tallahassee. Yeah, it's it's pretty shocking. I think it's a little bit it's a little bit sad too. I mean, you you look at him. I've obviously enjoyed seeing Taggart struggle because I enjoy seeing FSU struggle. But at the same time. Um, he hasn't been as bad as some of the other coaches out there who still have jobs, one of whom almost became the Gators head coach and is now driving UCLA directly into the ocean. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you look at it and you say, I think he's made some missteps in terms of public relations. I think that's been a big problem. Um, I, I think there, um, you know, there are some components here that make me a little bit uneasy about an African-American head coach who gets fired after 21 games versus some of the other guys who get opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it's one of those things where 
if the money stops coming from boosters and the boosters start demanding things, then we saw it with McIlwain as well. I mean, that was um, obviously the death threats are a little bit different situation, but still at the same time, like once he lost the fan base, they had to do something. And I think that's kind of what they felt at the Florida state. So, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen Taggart be good, but not great just because I think a strong Florida state is a good thing for Florida. If they can consistently beat them. Um, you know, I, I am curious though, after giving a guy 21 games, I mean, what kind of guarantees do you have to give to the next guy? Mm-hmm. Coming in? Like they better make sure they get it right because if they don't, they're going to be on the hook for like a $70 million buyout. I mean, if I, if I'm Mark Stoops, I'm comfortable at Kentucky. They'll have yep. me there forever. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it's going to take like a Jimbo Fisher contract to get me to come to Florida state. And at that point, they probably should have just given the money to Jimbo Fisher. <laughs> True. <laughs> that's really all it, that's all it came down to. He wanted he wanted more. Uh, there was a look. I don't know. FSU probably wouldn't have been able to keep matching what Texas A and M probably would have kept. <laughs> they, they would they would have upped the ante even more to, to to get him there. But you're right. I mean, the, the, we do know the money was there now. Uh, they could come up with money uh, to to to. to make what they wanted to happen. Uh, but uh, yeah, it is, it's kind of weird. We'll see where, where FSU ends up and, and who they end up hiring. But look, I mean, look, all you had to do was look at, it was FSU Miami. Look, I know both programs are nowhere near what they were, what they can be, but man, I mean, empty, you know, for a rivalry game, empty seats, empty, you know, plenty of empty seats uh, in Tallahassee for that game. And look, even even for as downtrodden as Florida has been in recent years, when it was a rivalry game in the Swamp, the, the Swamp was still full. The Swamp was still full. If Florida was playing FSU and Florida was looking at a four-win season, the Swamp was full. So, you know, it was the, those rivalry games still meant something. And so you could just tell, you know, the city of Tallahassee um, – the, the stadium, uh, the, the university is probably losing out a whole lot of money of uh, look, uh, attendance in Tallahassee was not going strong. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's usually why these sorts of changes are made. I mean, there'd be a lot more patience for head coaches if if the money didn't stop, even though they were losing games. The reason <laughs> the reason there's no patience for them anymore, one, is because you're paying them so much money. But two, just because, especially in the Twitter world now, you opinions can go around and 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 the narrative becomes that that he's not going to be able to turn it around. That starts getting to recruits. So, and, and that I think is the thing that sort of really seals Taggart's fate is that he had it basically one of the top five talented rosters in the country over the last couple of years. And you can argue that hey, there were holes on the offensive line that he had some issues at quarterback. Okay, that's fine, but that doesn't mean you should be losing to Wake Forest and Boston College and things like that. So the fact that he was losing with those types of classes, but then he is not able to sell the hope side of it. I mean, when you look Mm -hmm. at Florida right now, like Mullen may not be recruiting at Kirby Smart or Nick Saban's level, but he can sell the hope that, hey, we're getting better. We're seeing progress. The team is going 10 and 2, um, 11 and, you know, 11 and 2, whatever they'll end up this year. And, And there's no hope to sell from a record perspective and the talent level in Tallahassee is going down because his recruiting has, you know, was basically equivalent to Mullins the first couple of years, but there've been no results on the field. And so, you know, what are you selling your fan base at that point? I think this is one of those things where if Taggart was recruiting at an elite level and having these seasons, I think they give him some more time, but because the recruiting's heading in the wrong direction, the record's heading in the wrong direction and the attendance is heading in the wrong direction. It was, it was clear a change was going to be made, but it's still a little bit surprising that they made it this quickly. 
Yeah, I, I do agree uh, there, but uh, I guess uh, I guess they just couldn't wait. Uh, they got the money and uh, time to move on. So, well, there is a lot of Bob Stoops fire out there. I'm not sure I believe that one or not. Uh, that's you know usually if it, the the first name that's hot is usually not the higher. <laughs> we've we've went through a lot of uh, coaching searches uh, recently. We got a lot of experience in this. Uh, there, so yeah, usually the first big name that comes up, maybe it is Bob Stoops. I don't see it. I, you know, uh, it's just a prediction here. I, I don't know anything or anything. I I just don't see him uh, wanting to get back in. Uh, to that, but uh, you know, maybe maybe having a, a big school in the state of Florida is enough to pull him in. I don't think Mark Scoops leaves Kentucky uh, either. Uh, like as you said, I think he's got a pretty uh, pretty easy setup there. Um, look, they've been loyal to him, uh, so I think he could kind of see it that way as well and, and be loyal to Kentucky uh, in the end. So well, I don't know if you know if it's PJ Fleck or Matt Campbell or you know some assistant out there. Uh, but uh, it will be interesting to see, as you said, Will, the, the, what the next coach is going to be asking for uh, and, and uh, how much FSU is willing to shell out for their next guy. Yeah, well, I mean, they're not just having to pay for Taggart. They're having to pay for all of his assistants, too. Mm-hmm. I, I suspect that Bryles was not a cheap hire when they brought him in this past year. And then, um, you know, yeah, so even a guy like Brady from LSU might be somebody that they might consider just because – they may need to go with an up and comer. They may not be able to go get an established guy. I just don't know whether that's enough to bring the excitement back that, that Florida yeah. State really wants for their program. So you almost feel like they have to make a name higher here, but a name higher is going to cost you an awful lot of money. And, you know, I, I kind of enjoy seeing them go get the Mad Hatter. I kind of think that'd be fun, if nothing else, because we'd have some ridiculous fake punts and stuff going on and, or, and fake field goals going on again in a, in a Florida, in a Florida, Florida State rivalry. But, uh, they need yeah. to get a guy who, who who has recruited the state of Florida recently, uh, one Jim McElwain. <laughs> well, that's that's been a popular one. Um, <laughs> I, I will I will chip in for that if if they need if they're raising money, I will contribute. Yeah, I mean, bring Greg Nord and uh, and Doug Nussmeyer. I mean, bring the whole game back. Oh man, well he's he's with the Cowboys right now, right? So, That's true. Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure that Nuss is available. So um, they'll uh, we'll know who to blame for the third and long play action. <laughs> oh, all right. At least we can laugh a little bit. At least we can laugh a little bit. It comes from a place of pain. We were we were in this exact same situation, Florida State, like three years ago. So it, it does get better if you make the right hire, and I think. I think Florida's proven that. And certainly, I mean, when you look at the guys who were brought in that year, Mullen has been the guy who's had the most success. Uh, It's not even close. Yeah, well, and I mean, Taggart actually, I think, was like second on that list. Um, So he wasn't great, but he was better than the other guys who, you know, Scott Frost and – and uh, Chip Kelly obviously have have struggled quite a bit. But Was it uh, probably Mullen and Jimbo? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, so those are the two guys who are ahead of him. But, yeah, hey, we'll see. I, I. the the thing is, is they almost, they ran Jimbo Fisher out of town for reasons that were always a little bit unclear to me. Um, you know, like you said, it might have just been money. It might have been, and they just sort of with him with him being the heir apparent to Bobby Bowden and that sort of stuff. Maybe he was just in sort of a weird situation. I know there's some some uh, personal stuff going on too, but at the end of the day, like you took a guy who won a national championship 
and and allowed him to leave and then went and got somebody who had a losing record to start with and a history of building programs but not necessarily a history of of sustaining them and and i think oregon's happy with where they wound up so so uh you know hey they they took a swing and missed and and we'll see who they swing at this time all right uh we'll uh vanderbilt coming up uh what you got coming up on read me action yeah, we'll have a preview. I think, um, you know, a little bit. We talked a little bit tonight about Emory Jones. Probably going to be something up this week about how to use him um, in, in the offense and, and, and where they can maybe get some benefit from bringing him in. Um, but, uh, yeah, then there'll be a Vanderbilt preview, and that'll probably be it for this week. All right. That's Will Miles. You can find him at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm David Waters, host of Gators Breakdown. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.